In partnership with Paizo, the No Direction Network welcomes you to our PaizoCon Online 2020 seminar coverage. While you enjoy your PaizoCon Online 2020 seminar recordings, remember that these were recorded online and that some minor audio and connection issues are to be expected. And also, I am Jordan, and Jordan is me right now, so keep that in mind. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a thing. So let's, yeah, let's get started. So we're going to start today by looking at um, some of our work from yesterday, doing a little recap of what we came up with. And uh, Rick was kind enough, I think it was a, a combination effort of Rick and Rachel, but uh, Rick was kind enough to actually make a character sheet. I've posted these links in the Discord chat as well. Um, but essentially, this is our ancient elf from yesterday. We built this character. She is an elf. She is a forlorn elf. She has the cursed family background. She is a sorceress. Um, we added, she's from Usulam. Uh It looks like we've kitted her out a little bit with uh, a deity, Phrasma, which makes sense. We've also kitted her out with some daggers, which makes sense. Crossbow. Uh, Rick, do you want to talk a little bit about these uh, feats that you picked for her? Yeah, so, uh, well, a couple of the feats just kind of came along with it. The The character's backstory is, in essence, that her family has been uh, cursed and that there was a whole uh, a woman showed up to her... Uh, her father took... or her ancestor took place in the, uh, the War of the Shining Crusade and then afterwards was awarded a castle and land and titles. And when the family that used to have the castle showed back up and wanted to collect some heirlooms... He refused them. The lady in question cursed him that the uh, his family line would end because of his uh, he would be killed by his fairest daughter, uh, which he took to be his daughter with silver hair, unlike his own black hair. And so uh, he killed his daughter, which was a betrayal of trust when they were least expecting it, which for those of you familiar with uh, monster statistics usually leads to banshees. Mm. Uh, and as such, a banshee has hunted the family ever since when the second born daughter, or when the second born daughter is born, uh, returns back to kill the patriarch unless the patriarch kills his own second born daughter. So uh, it's kind of a vicious cycle there. No. And uh, as such, uh, eventually, um, our character, uh, a lady that I named uh, Natalara, was uh, born. She was actually born as uh, one of a pair of twins. And so her mother had her servants sneak out with the daughter and then presented the son and said, I don't know why there's a ghost out on the moors because you had a son. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then the daughter was raised out there. Right? <laughs> so, uh, unrelated, an unrelated ghost. Must be unrelated. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, so I went with the, uh, the ancient elf heritage. In large part because the ancient elf heritage uh, means it's a strong connection to you know your elven ancestry. In addition to that, it uh, gives you access at first level to the multi-class dedication. And so since she spent her life kind of being undercover and everything, it gave her the multi-class dedication for being a rogue. Which means ah. that, yeah, she's a sorceress, but she's actually walking around in leather armor and gets access to all sorts of rogue talents and everything. So she's a little yes. bit more... Uh, more sly, a little bit more uh, low-key than the average sorcerer would be, sorceress. 
so, and her connection to this Banshee is kind of a um, quantum entanglement, if you want to get Starfinder with it. But there's a, oh there's an innate in connection between the two of them, which has led to her having uh, undead sorceress powers and the cursed family background. And so uh, I like to incorporate a lot of that with the cursed family background. It gives you more curses. And so in essence, she's wandering Ustalov, um, having found out that her father uh, was killed by the Banshee, and then her older brother was killed by the Banshee, and then her older sister is killed by the Banshee, whoever is in basically the leader of the family at that point is inevitably killed by this Banshee. Uh, she's now found out that her twin brother, whom she's never even really met, uh, is now the head of the family, but she of course has that innate twin connection kind of thing. And so she's trying to find a way to break the curse before her twin brother, who doesn't actually know that she even really exists, um, mm. is killed. <laughs> and so she travels across Uslov researching curses and works as kind of a curse breaker. She shows up in like small Uslovic town. Uh, I'm imagining it as like a cross between uh, one, because I've been playing it a lot recently, like Geralt the Witcher, just kind of showing up places to solve problems, uh, mixed with a little bit of like Vampire Hunter D. Ah, yeah. Where they just like she just runs from town to town, but then inevitably they find out that instead of being a rogue, she's actually this uh, sorceress with undead powers. And then you know, pitchforks and torches come out. And they chase <laughs> her Good old Usulov. So, it's true. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, so that is our dynamic character. That is the character we have sat down at our first session with. The way this panel yeah. is going to work is we're going to kind of go through some of our tips and tricks for. We're actually role-playing a character such as this one. This is going to be our touchstone. We'll kind of use her to talk about examples for some of the kind of tenets that we are mentioning here. And, of course, yeah. you know, as we go, if you have any questions or you want to say anything, any fun comments, uh, post them either in the Discord uh, text channel or in the Twitch comments, and uh, we'll be monitoring those. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and start with just... Some basics on role-playing in a dynamic way. Um, Quick English teacher reminder. uh, Dynamic is the opposite of static. So a static character is one that never changes. They're always the same. A dynamic character is one that's going to evolve over time. So that's the kind of character that we're talking about here. They're usually a little more interesting, um, and they're a little more fun to play with and just to play. So what do we have for some tips on how 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 do we do this? Yeah. What do? How do I do this? <laughs> Does so, someone else want to take that, or do yeah, you? Yeah, I'll, I'll well, I mean, it. I, I think it's a pretty overarching question. Yep. So, Jordan, take it away. Yeah, uh, I think the the biggest thing that I find that makes a difference between what feels like a static character and a dynamic character is actually caring about you know, the, the NPCs, the player characters, the story that you're doing, um, building that relationship over time and then seeing how that relationship actually influences your character because we are all influenced by the people around us. Like our, our development is based on the experiences that we have. And so actually having relationships is part of good role play um, and remembering. So part of that is, is, you know, being invested and even being a little vulnerable. So you might have, you know, this deep secret in your backstory that you don't really tell anybody, but your adventuring group after a while, you, you feel comfortable enough with them that you open up about this, you know, horrible tragedy that you've had this curse upon your family. And yeah. uh, I think that that those moments where you are, 
very vulnerable, that is some of the like the rawest role play that you get. Like that's when if you're if you're invested as a player in your character, like you're gonna actually feel that more so than just like you know, oh he uh, you know he says it's no big deal and just moves on. Well, and and kind of using this character that we've created as an example, I mean, just from Rick's description, you can tell that this character is probably a bit of a, a loner and doesn't have a lot of relationships because they get driven out. Uh, once their secret is kind of exposed. And so if they do end up with an adventuring party, you know, it's probably going to be slow to the uptake for them to, to trust and want to interact with their group and like slowly kind of giving bits of this character to the other characters, like revealing parts of their past and, and gaining that trust is, is how you create that dynamic character. They went from this loner to, Hey, I have a family. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the a family huge you choose. That's yeah. a huge piece uh-huh. is building I mean it's a cooperative game. This isn't a game with just one mm-hmm. character. So a lot of yeah. what's gonna make characters interesting and feel real is kind of building those relationships with fellow PCs. Some of that is you, you know, making sure you reach out to people or try like there's a difference between playing a loner and playing a loner for life. Um, yeah. playing a loner for life is not ever going to work but playing a loner who wants to be part of something but is just nervous about it or has kind of a block and is working through that is interesting um, but you can also outside of character talk to the other people at your table and be like hey uh, this is a character that really wants to be part of the group but they're going to need somebody to kind of pull them in some and then you can mm-hmm. kind of work with your table to to build those relationships and don't be afraid to build relationships with the NPCs as well. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. going back to our mummy's mask adventure path, like Falso could have been a one-off. We kind of made fun of this guy in the bar, but now he's like a staple <laughs> yeah. and everybody, he's one of the fan favorites. So, I mean, just because they're an NPC doesn't necessarily mean they can't contribute to the story in some way eventually. So yeah. don't be afraid for your characters to make friends with NPCs. Yes. And along that same line, uh, even if it's a character that does seem like they're going to be short-lived, like if you're if you're doing an adventure and it only takes place in a town and they, the GM brings in a character that's obviously like, you know, here's a, a young girl and she's been cursed and you're trying to help out and alleviate that curse, you know, feel free to let your, your, let your character and let yourself become attached to this child and have a, you know, um, a understanding and if that character don't don't assume that the GM's just going to be attempting to manipulate your emotions. Mm-hmm. They might be. But you know, you. experiencing those emotions <laughs> is part of the story. <laughs> Rick speaks from experience. Yeah, it's true. Uh, <laughs> but, but again, it's one of those if you do get attached to an NPC and something bad happens to them, that also opens up some good role playing moments yeah. for your your characters exactly. amongst other and NPCs. a great opportunity and, to develop the character. Yes, and the PCs, or it's one of those you know we failed this one girl and we're never gonna let that happen again. Kind of be a motivation for the party and the you know and your character. Yeah, I think oh, being really okay, free. being okay with losing, like sometimes you are not gonna yeah. win. It's just a it's a game of luck and dice. And, uh, but being able to take kind of those failures and either let them impact your character or, you know, kind of play off them motive- for motivation, they can be, that can be a really powerful tool as well. Yeah. Or you it's, the, uh, it's the refusal of the quest element where it kind of comes up where you're set back, uh, 
just to throw out a, a pop culture reference as far as that's concerned, Luana does that amazingly when she mm-hmm. refuses the quest most of the way through the story. Minor spoiler there. Um, but then re-embraces it and becomes the hero. And that's that's a character growth. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's getting back up after you've been knocked down. Unpopular opinion, Moana is better than Frozen. No, Why I are we it. talking about I, this? I, yeah. I, <laughs> as moderator, I silence Rachel on his <laughs> hey, I kept it down to one sentence. That's Y'all true. are the ones that kept That's it fine. going. Uh, here's a good question kind of related to that. Um, how do you incorporate an interesting dynamic character into a game without completely dominating the game? So what are some tips for getting the other players involved? I talked a little bit about just talking to them, but uh, what are some other things that you could do? It is hard if you're in a new group to uh, come in. You're a strong role player. Maybe everybody else is newer to the game, uh, but it can't just be you talking all the time. So so what Ooh. advice do we have for that? Um, one of the things that I would say is just kind of, it also, this is kind of something that works with improv too, is the yes and thing. Like if you have characters that are connected and somebody brings up something, don't just be like, oh yeah, I remember that. Add to the conversation and that kind of helps people role play because you you leave them an open end so they have to re- they have to respond. You don't just end the conversation in a way, but that way it kind of encourages people to role play. And if you are a good role player, one of the things that I I always, I've actually learned this in the professional world that works well in Pathfinder also, is to actually call on somebody and ask them for their opinion directly. Um, even if you're just getting like an, oh, I don't, I don't really have a strong opinion on that. That's still like, that's still a chance for them to say something about their character. And I think that a lot of times we get nervous around, you know, a new group of people, you don't know what they're going to think about you. And if you have that person that comes out to you and says, Hey, I, I want to hear your opinion, then that gives you a little bit more confidence to, to want to speak up. Yeah. So that's a good way to not dominate. I think you could also start with, you know, some more casual, um, experiences like whenever you're traveling with your group and you're going to have to camp for the night rather than just kind of hand waving it and saying oh it's the next day you know say hey at the camp- campfire that night I decided to ask so and so this question you know and keep it in kind of a very casual thing and then whenever it you know you start building this story it's going to be easier to open up and have those conversations. Yeah, role-playing tends to be something that's harder for newer players, especially if they've not done a game like this before. So if, you, if you're if you familiar with it and are a strong role-player, like Rachel and Jordan said, it's kind of one of those. If you kind of open the door, they'll start to feel more comfortable with it, and yeah. then everybody will be role-playing, not just one or two people. Yeah, yeah I would also say uh, it's, it's a great opportunity, especially when you're dealing with combat situations or even if you're doing a dungeon crawl, to incorporate things like saying, you know, that was that was an amazing strike after someone gets a critical hit and then after the battle going, where did you learn to fight or how did you learn this technique or where did you learn this spell or, you know, that was a great item, where did you pick this up or who taught you these and just giving them an opportunity to expand on their backstory. Just think of it as opening up doors, just giving them a one end to say, you know, hey, I really like this element of your character. What did you learn or how did you learn to do this? Or where did you go to school? And also not always relying on the uh, narrative part. You'd be like, oh, well, my character does this. No, go ahead and act it out. You know, say, you know, say the things in character and that's going to help the, you know, the people who are less comfortable with it be like, oh, okay, they did it that way. 
I could do that. Yeah, you're going to learn, you're going to learn from the people that you are playing with when you're new, like Mm -hmm. Jordan and I, Jordan, Rachel and I were new. And the only person who played in that first game with us was Ross, who's an amazing role player. So we all kind of learned by following his lead on how to do some of this stuff. And so you know, so if you all y'all person, can thank Ross for Find the Path. <laughs> I was, was going to say, I, I remember back to our first quiz was session. Ross, <laughs> also, Rick Ross GM. Was like, <laughs> <laughs> was he was so good. It was really good. All right. So that kind of leads really nicely into this idea of uh, creating a create, creating a space where you can feel kind of free to do this role play. Uh, and a lot of that mm. stems from the idea that your, your interactions – as people, as players, uh, it's hard, but you have to figure out how not to let those kind of impact your gameplay and vice versa. Because, you know, sometimes your character is going to be mad at each other, but you don't want to be mad with your friend. And yeah. you need to be able to have that space. I don't know if anybody else has some advice on how to kind of mitigate those issues. I mean, a lot of that is just communication. Um, yeah. I mean, certainly you can have those moments in character, but then... You know, either if you're not certain, be like, hey, look, you know, this is the way my character feels. Is this is this creating a situation you're not comfortable with? Or even just after the session go, you realize, like, I'm not mad, though, right? Like, like we're cool, yeah. right? You know, if you're not certain. Yeah, the after game um, lunch is nice or dinner. Or yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the talk after the game and, like, make sure everybody's still in a good spot, for sure, is a good thing. So yeah, like having a, a contentious relationship in character um, is not an inherently bad thing. It's just that as you go through it, make sure to check in every once in a while and go like, okay, like this is still cool though, right? Like you know, we yeah. do realize this is the game part, not like the you know. <laughs> game part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but that that also doesn't give you license though to just be your character to like you know the stereotypical thief that steals from the party yeah. that's a, that's a different i'm just playing my character argument, argument. Is never a good yeah. argument. yeah 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 this is more like a role-playing thing like something happens and mm-hmm. your characters have two vastly different opinions so you get into an argument just like ross said just make sure your friends know hey that was just my character i'm not mad at you because mm-hmm. you don't yeah. want these things to bleed over into the real world yeah, yeah, so like using true. our character that we've used here as an example, you know, because they're a bit of that loner, maybe they don't, you know, share their plans with the group before they decide to go do something. And so then mm-hmm. afterward, you know, the other characters might be like, hey, why didn't you say anything? And she's, you know, that that would be kind of one, a role play moment, but it could definitely cause some tension there. There could be an in-character fight. And then afterward, you'll be like, you know, dude, it's, you know, we're not really fighting. You know, it's, it's all... As, as, much as, as much as all of us love this game and in, in, in the long run we have to remember it is it is a game and, yeah. this, Absolutely. Should, and it shouldn't be causing issues in reality with your friends exactly yeah. and yeah. i mean so, uh, simple simon 12 in the twitch is saying that one of their pet peeves is people saying i'm chaotic neutral as an excuse for working against the interest of the party and i think yeah, that's, that's this is a cooperative right. role-playing game. Role playing yes. Yeah, I will make a statement here. It is a controversial statement. I've already made it elsewhere before. Uh, chaotic Mutual is a bit of the lazy alignment because hey. a lot of times people hey. will... Just say, a lot of people will play Chaotic Mutual because they don't want to worry about the alignment system. And it's, I can do whatever I want and treat this like a video game mm-hmm. instead of having uh. to think about it. 
And that's what a lot of people default to chaotic neutral is I can do good things. I can do evil things. I can break any of the laws that I want. I can go into the house and take whatever I want because it's for the greater good, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so, and if somebody calls them out on it, they're just like, oh, I'm chaotic. Well, I'm fine. playing my alignment. Yeah. Uh, so that I think that is a large part of the, you know, don't, don't be the person that causes issues at the table. But at the same time, understand that it is a game. And so if someone is playing a character and then says, especially if they're trying to play a dynamic character that starts out as a, I'm a self-serving, chaotic, neutral, don't really care about any one type of character. And then now I'm trying to develop this. I'm actually starting to care about this group and have this, this friendship and this relationship with a group. I call this the Han Solo effect. The Han ah, Solo, yes. exactly. <laughs> yes. It's I when mean, your Lancer just decides to become the hero. Let's yeah. talk a little bit about playing alignment. Um, I yeah. think that a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of feelings about alignment one way or the other. <laughs> um, yeah, classic. But I think that there's a difference between feeling like alignment is a thing you have to do versus a thing that describes what you wanted to do in the first place. Uh, alignment, I, I always try to use it as kind of a guideline. It's yeah. one of those, if I'm playing a lawful good character, I my character obeys the laws and tries to be a good person. And do I have to do that every single time something comes up? No. Most DMs get, or most GMs give you a little bit of a leeway, you know, with that yeah. kind of thing. But if it's you just have to choose those, between law and good. Yeah, and it's one of those, if you come up to a situation and you don't really know how your character would react, sometimes it's one of those, okay, I'm lawful good. What does that apply to this situation? Yeah. And use it more as a guideline instead of, you know, a rigid stick that you have to stick to, you know? Well, I think it's also really important if you're thinking of your dynamic character, remember this character should change, don't be afraid to let your alignment slide. I That's love that. Several of our games. Well, I mean, like in Mummy's Mask, we've had a character change alignment. Mm-hmm. You know, so... That's also, and that's something that your game master will probably talk to you about, but also be open to that. Yeah. Ross, what were you going to say? Oh, I was basically going to say the same thing. Yeah, if you're... <laughs> If you come to a point and you think, no, my, you know, paladin would not accept this and would like, you know, like storm out of the courtroom and take justice into his own hands or something, like, that's fine. You may not be playing to your character's stated alignment, but if it's something you honestly think is a move your character is looking to do, you know, that's what they do. Yeah. Um, and also on the subject of paladins, the, uh, the atonement spell exists for a reason. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah that's that true. That's perfect. Yeah. Paladins yeah. included. That's true. There's, there's also, um, you know, thinking about alignment and planning, you know, a change. If you know, like I've sat down with Ross before in previous games and said, "Hey, I think I'm going to go evil uh, by the Ooh. end of this campaign or whatever." It didn't happen, but it didn't happen. <laughs> it happened with me, which I wasn't planning. It did happen. With you. It, it didn't happen because you have to be open to kind of interacting with the story as it unfolds around you. And it just so happened that, you know, that character met another character who introduced her to this certain way of thought and like ended up not kind of saving her, I guess, from the evil alignment. So I think, you know, thinking about plot and arcs and planning, you know, don't let your plan get in the way of something that's more interesting than you thought of. Yeah. Yeah. Jessica raises an exceptionally valid point where it's, you know, one, no plan survives contact with the story. You can plan out an entire yeah. character arc, but the moment that you start playing the story, especially because you're when you're making your character and you're conceptualizing this arc that you might want for a character where you're like, I'm going to play an evil character and seek redemption. 
well, if there's no one in the party that you ever interact with that actually pushes you towards redemption, it won't make sense. Yeah, and you can't uh, force that kind of thing. So it, it kind of falls to the, what was it, Eisen, was it Eisenhower, I think it was, that uh, planning is, or uh, plans are worthless, planning is invaluable. I think that's a rough quote, but. Maybe, I, I honestly don't recall. <laughs> I don't know my Eisenhower quotes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know Eisenhower that well. I like Ike. All right. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good history, Rick. Uh, uh, just because we have time right now, uh, we had a fun question for Rachel specifically. What does this character no. sound like? Uh, what's her character voice, Rachel? I don't know why it's directed I, directly at Rachel, but it is. Um, what for the uh, our elf? Yeah, our elf. Yeah. Um, shoot, I don't know. I'm I'm not gonna lie. I tend to default to kind of the the more high speech for my elves just because they are a bit hoity-toity. There we go. Hoity-toity. They're a bit hoity-toity in, in, my, in my brain, but that's because I grew up you know, on Lord of the Rings, Tolkien-esque sort of elves, and so I always kind of associate them with that. Um, so that's probably what I would do is a you know, very you know, high-spoken but serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly so let's you know we already started talking about alignment let's move into some more mechanical things as you start role playing this character and yeah. uh, that character starts gaining experiencing and love that uh, gaining experience and leveling up um what are some some things that that could help you enhance your role play that may be more mechanical in nature well i mean there's obviously an option uh for instance, with this character, when I was selecting spells, you know, she gets some necromancy spells just from being a um, undead bloodline sorcerer. And focusing on the necromantic spells, especially if you're a spontaneous spellcaster, is an interesting direction to go, even if it's not mechanically the best direction because it expands on your character's backstory. So even if just saying it's like, oh, well, she has these necromancy spells and she kind of becomes a one-trick pony if you're like a white necromancer where you're using your necromancy to fight undead. Uh, at the same time that that is a trick that expands it. So, you know, if you're looking at a different sorcerer, maybe just say, you know, my sorcerer has elemental bloodline. Uh, so yeah, I focus exclusively on fire and I don't take any cold spells. And that might be a detriment if I run into a red dragon. Uh, but then I have to figure out an interesting way to use my other spells to help the party because I do fire. Uh, so I think spell selection is a lot of that. And uh, a lot of what can come from spell selection is also letting the story dictate your, your choices there. Mm-hmm. So for instance, if you're continually running into, I can't get to X thing, I can't get up to this place, or I can't, uh, you know, we keep having to deal with crossing rivers and I can't swim or climbing cliffs and I can't climb, then choosing fly because of that more so than it's just the best tactical choice mm-hmm. works well for a character. So that's true. And I mean, there's plenty of, re- you know, it's like you, it, it can still be somewhat crunchy as well, but it's like if you're running into mobs of enemies all the time, maybe look into learning a spell like web or something like that. So you yeah. can deal with multiple people. You know, maybe your, your character originally wasn't going to pick that one up, but if you're like, yeah, we fight goblin hordes all the time. Yeah. You know, think about maybe some battlefield control. Yeah. Your, your spell should help to expand the character that you're making. It also doesn't have to be limited to like offense defense. It can also be outside of combat as well. I had a character who got um, uh, not hut. What was it? The the I could summon a cottage. 
tiny hut. Well, it wasn't a hut. No, it was, it's it was not like hut. A step up, I yeah, it's a step up from that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, but it was because we were always kind of out in the wilderness, and it was like, okay, well, it'd be nice if we could have a safe place, yeah. you know. And that that you know that was my character. She was very like that, and so like taking Natalara, she's probably used to kind of roughing it and whatnot. So you know, it'd be kind of cool if eventually she's like, oh, I, I've got money, I'm gonna buy the nice room today. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a kind of a fun idea there where it's, uh, you know, she's a forlorn elf and has been wandering for so long. So the idea that she brings her home with her yeah. is kind of a fun character oh, development yeah. side of it. Cool. Revcon says uh, secure shelter. I think secure yes. shelter. Actually, yes, that, yeah, is it it. Is the, yeah. that is it. Yeah, comes with it's invisible it's servants and everything, so you can be super oh, lazy. It's great. Yeah, it is. And it's a nice <laughs> And you can do this kind of thing with your gear as well. Like if in your backstory, you know, your sword was your mother's, who's dead now, sword just because, and it's a just because you find a better magical one later on. Maybe just don't ditch the sword that was your mother's. Maybe keep it and save up some money to enhance it so you can use it again later on. But, you know, it's not, you know, sometimes I feel like, you know, we play these games like video games or like Diablo. Oh, I found a better pair of pants. Time to choke the old ones. <laughs> you know? uh, but by the same but, token, sometimes maybe you, you've specialized in a weapon and then maybe you're very religious and you find the holy weapon of your deity and it's not the same type. Maybe it's worth retraining to use that weapon. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's definitely a, that's definitely a good guideline and also letting, uh, Elements of your gear speak to your character. So, for instance, if you're playing a uh, Varician character, maybe you know do a bit of a dive, and you know because the Varicians wear scars, and scars oftentimes tell the story of their family's history. Mm -hmm. So, you know, actually bringing that in, having your character have said scarf even if they don't wear it, um, or things along the lines of dwarves have clan daggers now. It's an amazing piece mm -hmm. of equipment, not just because of its mechanical benefit, but also because of its story development. Yeah. <laughs> Playing off that Varician scarf thing that Rick just said, that could also be a reason why your fighter is trained in craft in second edition. It's one of those because you add to your scarf. Yeah. It's yeah. one of those, you know, this is why I have this skill. You can use equipment to kind of justify those kind of choices as well. Absolutely. Or I mean, you can even use that, you know, maybe your character just has picked up sewing in the meantime because they recover their, you know, their family's scarf and they're like, wow, I want to add to this. Um, does anybody know how to knit? Yeah. I need yeah. to learn how to do this. That's yeah. true. You have to go find an old woman in a town, and she has to teach you how to knit. It's a whole <laughs> fun side thing. It's a whole fun it's a whole montage. Activity. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And Jordan, then it's the you, constant you quest for more yarn. <laughs> That's a different kind of story. I've become, a sheep, I've become a sheep rancher, so I can raise sheep and use the wool. And... <laughs> That's your retirement plan after yeah. that. I've done a lot of planning for retirement. I'll be like, ah, <laughs> excellent, a bahir egg. I will raise it when I retire. And I put it in the bag <laughs> and wander off. Jordan, do you have anything to add? Uh, no, not anything that's ever been said uh, okay. as far as that. So uh, I, do, I do think you can also, in your leveling up, what you... What you choose for your feats is also another way of defining your character, and it is a reaction. A lot of, well, at least for me, because I don't plan all the way up to 20 level for my characters, a reaction to what you're seeing. So if I find a lot of yeah. things that have spell resistance, I'm going to focus on, you know, spell penetration. If I see a lot of invisible things, I'd be looking at blind fight. You know, there's a lot of uh, different, like, kind of themes that show up, especially in adventure paths that I find I'm taking feats to try to deal with. 
and that there's a story reason for why I'm trying to focus on learning how to fight without with my eyes closed, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's true. No, that's, that's, that's a great point as far as, uh, you know, bringing in extra or, you know, updating your feats as you progress, having that tell part of your story so that someone who looks at your character sheet can actually see what your progression was and go, wow, this guy obviously got blinded a whole lot if he has a blind fight. That's true. I mean, and with second edition, there are all sorts of archetypes and things that are going to be specific to adventure paths if you're playing adventure paths. And so yeah. being able to be flexible and keep an open eye for some of that stuff, because it may be the only place you can do it and uh, yeah. that sort of thing. I mean, like, if you're playing in Chiliax and you encounter, say, the Bellflower Network and, you know, it's like, maybe your character originally wasn't really going to be into that, but then you just, you know, your character starts to really connect with the Bellflower Tillers and getting stuff going, and then you're like, you know what, I want to take an archetype that helps me out with that, because yeah. I think they're cool. Yeah. Ross went the we're in Chiliac, so Bellflower Network good way, and I was like, oh, hell nice. Oh, wait, it's I mean, Bellflower. Different folks. Different <laughs> yeah. And yeah, um, but yeah, be open to maybe, you know, like, uh, uh, like I tend to plan out a lot of feats and selections for my character ahead of time just because it's things I kind I, of want to I do. I do as well. I tend to plan out those kind of things, but second editions right. have to make me be a lot more flexible when it comes to that stuff. I can already see that coming. Well, and, you know, sometimes, like, I will make changes based off of stuff that comes up in the game because, okay. I mean, if you strike while the iron's hot if something comes yeah. up and it's like hey you know this sounds really cool go with it mm -hmm. like, and that's, absolutely. i think that's really what being a dynamic character really boils down to is being will, willing to change your plans and roll with it to make yeah. you fit in the story mm -hmm. yeah because netalara starts out already with the rogue multi-class dedication mm -hmm. so i mean she's already kind of a split class you know but if she takes her two requisite rogue feats and opens herself up to have another dedication, and she happens to find someone who's, uh, you know, you know, finds this great warrior and decides, you know what, I need more martial skills if I'm going to take on this banshee that's been plaguing my family for generations. Then maybe eventually, you know, or even that, or just meets like a paladin or something, and it's like she's neutral good right now, but maybe she can work with the paladin. You can have an arc that takes her from neutral good to lawful good take a champion dedication and then suddenly you have new champion powers to help you fight undead. And yeah. always kind of communicate these ideas to your GM because they mm. can't always read your mind. So it's one yeah. of those, hey, <laughs> this is something my character would be really interested in. I mean, maybe Rick you know? can't, but I can read your mind. <laughs> oh, no. I haven't oh. mastered that skill yet. <laughs> uh, also, this would be for that, uh, oh, sorry. Do make sure that you talk to your fellow players because they may also be thinking yeah. similar things and I mean, you can technically have just a party of champions if you wanted to, but I don't know if your yeah. group would find that super interesting. Yeah. Yeah, but and on the uh, the list of, as far as having equipment and feet choices and all the rest, everything in this department is not actually something uh, I think we'd initially plan on talking about. On the GM side of things, if you are a game master and you want to help your players be dynamic characters, maybe think about just dropping a line and saying, uh, for instance, we're going to be doing this module and you already know that there's an awesome number of feats for rangers in this module. Just go, hey, by the way, if anyone's playing a ranger, it might be fun. 
Or, you know, like, the, the adventure paths tend to have really cool, powerful artifacts, and it's one of those, if one of your characters decides to play a fighter and the big, powerful weapon in that game is a bastard sword, maybe tell them, hey, yeah. maybe your character should use a bastard sword. Yeah, you don't need to explain yeah. why, but possibly just saying, hey, you know, if one of you wants to play a damn fear, it's going to be a really interesting character arc. Or if one of you wants to play, you know, a character that focuses entirely on archery, yeah. it's going to pay off for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sometimes I think some GMs, you know, as a general statement, sometimes we play it too close to the vest because we want to get that big surprise with players. Mm -hmm. uh, but when it comes to mechanics, let them have fun. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to tell them that they're not going to get this awesome sword until they, you know, wrestle Tatsil Worm to the ground with their bare hands. <laughs> yeah. Our tired Tatsil Worm at that. Yes. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, but oh, there, I think there is one thing that, I, that after talking about all this dynamic stuff that I do want to mention is sometimes a character just doesn't fit the story anymore. No matter what you've tried. You've tried talking to the game master, you've tried talking to the fellow players, and you're just not feeling that character anymore Don't rush. do not suicide your character that usually has bad consequences for the other players and it's going to be really obvious what you're doing when you start do you want to clarify games. that don't make reckless stupid decisions to try to get your character killed rather so than just make a new one. just so you can make yeah. a new one just talk to the gm i mean we have we have examples of that in mummy's mask we have examples of that in other games most GMs are going to be like, okay, if you don't want to play this character anymore, we'll find a way to role play them out of the story, and then you can yeah. bring in someone new. And that but, could actually be part of the character's arc. Arc, yes, yeah, it's true. Well, and for and I think the well, I think the same thing can be said for character death. I mean, I'm generally a fan of bringing mm. my characters back, but you know, with a character like uh, our elf here, maybe if she dies in battle. She's fine with that because isn't the curse only until the second daughter is killed? Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, so it solves her. And also she's a follower of Phrasma, and there's always the thing with being a follower of Phrasma, where it's like, if I die, was it really like I meant to have died here? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, also, I got to my reward. <laughs> so but, that was kind of what I was shooting for. But yeah. and there is a difference between suiciding your character and making the noble sacrifice so the rest of the party yes. can get away. Yes. yes. So yeah, yeah. That, I'm not saying don't ever sacrifice your character. I'm saying if you're tired of your character, don't make dumb decisions that could accidentally get, get someone else killed. Well, it's also kind of disrespectful. It's almost disrespectful to this character that you created because you do put a bit of yourself in this character. And it's like, have have the, the knowledge that you, you should have bowed out. Like, don't don't sell yourself short. Yeah, uh, it's it's yeah. one of those things that it, it that's not that's not something that your character would necessarily do, right? Yeah. Like your character might be playing a reckless character, but they they don't plan on on dying, right? I don't think anybody yeah. plans for dying who's an adventurer. Yeah. So, well, <laughs> and if you retire, you might be trying to avoid it. <laughs> yeah. And, and you, you never know if you retire a character, maybe in a different adventure path, you're like, hey, yeah. this character would actually really work for that, and you can bring them back into another game eventually. But, yeah. if you, but if you've done something really dumb and that character's dead, then they're gone. There's not a way to use them again. That's true. Uh, so any final thoughts on this before we open up just for some q and I have a few questions already kind of queued up for us, but uh, oh. any other thoughts on this? 
Uh, I think that as far as having like a character, you know, looking at our character that we've made with uh, Natalara and looking at some of the suggestions that we made, uh, I think Rach brought up a really good point where she was saying about having that character, you know, become open up and start to trust the other members of her party is going to be a really interesting character arc for this person. Uh, being able to select new spells as she levels up that further expands this, I don't actually have control over where my sorcerer's powers come from. It's this curse of my family line. So I keep up getting all these necromancy spells that I don't really want, but I now have to find a use for them or a way to implement them. Mm -hmm. um, beyond that, uh, in the background that I wrote, I specifically, I think it was the last line I mentioned on there, that unknown to her uh, after the death of her other children, her mother revealed her existence to her twin brother, who now seeks her as a way to stop the family's curse. Mm -hmm. So seeding in uh, plot hooks into your character's backstory yeah. that you can then develop as you're playing the character yeah. where you don't know that you have another brother that's is he hunting you down to kill you is he hunting you down to help you try to kill this banshee yeah what's going on there yeah um, that leads perfectly into a question uh the question ooh. is how much license do you give a gm to develop your backstory i, I always I, like I, need to I, I always leave a few like open-ended things in my backstories for the game masters to kind of play with and bring those elements back in like you know oh I'm kind of estranged from my family but now I'm back in the city but I haven't ever really said how any interactions with the family have gone that way if I run into those people there's a role-playing opportunity mm -hmm. um we kind of talked about this I think a little bit yesterday you don't want everything tied up in a nice little bow because then the GM doesn't have anything to work with, and that doesn't really lead towards you being dynamic. That actually only makes your character a little bit more static because they don't have those things to pull from. And I think a large part of that is uh, you do have to relinquish a little bit of control to the game master, um, which can be hard with people because I mean, we make these characters, we love our characters, you know, and for mm -hmm. one way or another. But I do trust that, like, if I leave some bits open for Rick, that he's going to go with those in a way that's interesting and will really, you know, help me bring the character to life rather than, you know, like, ruin it or something like that. And, and sometimes those things come back. Sometimes you think things that are tied up in a nice little bow come back and you're like, what? Yeah. Like, in one of our games... Uh, I thought my character's father was dead. And then Ross was like, surprise! And I was like, oh, this was not what I was expecting. That is so true. You have, so you can have some fun surprises, even with things that you think are tied up. You just have to put faith in your GM that they're going to do things that they feel like is best for the story and your character. I also think that uh, Rick played a little bit of his GM card there because I generally wouldn't have included anything that my brother was doing necessarily in my backstory, but that's a hundred percent what a GM would think if they read that backstory. And so the idea that Rick added that last bit about how the brother is also <laughs> looking for her, that's actually something a GM typically would do, I think. Um, yeah. And, but you left the opening by just saying you had a brother out there that you didn't know. And yeah. so what happens with that person is up to the GM. Uh, as long as they're not going to do – like if they do something completely horrible with it, you can in real life just be like, hey, that sucked and I didn't like that. Can we not have that be how it was? Yeah. And so, that goes back to that communication. Yeah. Yeah. It also goes back to having trust, yes. Yeah. 
Jordan, anything? Yeah, you, you need to have, I, for me, I think the biggest thing is it's up to your comfort level and how much you trust the, the GM. So for me, I always look at it as I put in, you know, I put in the foundation, the scaffolding, you know, the, the general layout of the building. I tend to want the GM to put the paint on. Right to really complete the the house. That's an analogy. Yeah, I really like uh, that analogy. That's a good one. Jordan. Yeah, because the the thing for me is that I I know generally how I want to play my character, and I want I know the things that I want to have been like their core moments, right? Like if you're montaging their intro, these are the key points I want to hit. But I don't I don't I don't write long backstories, guys. I write like maybe six seven hundred words usually. It's and, long for some people, though. <laughs> yeah, it's long for some people, but I mean, if you're doing an elf and you've got 150, 200 years to, to go through, there's a lot of gaps in between that. Bullet points. Gonna, yeah. You know. oh, so, yeah, so sometimes I've, yeah, I've even done bullet points of like, here's the major events that I want to have be canonical to my character, and then there's gaps in there where something else could come in, and, you know, maybe they, uh, you know, a, a main NPC that is going to be central to one of the books of the adventure path. I will know because the GM says, oh, yeah, in your backstory, you had this thing happen to you that, you know, oh, maybe he forgot, right? Yeah. And that's another one of those things where the where you kind of have to do the yes and thing that we were talking about mm -hmm. earlier. Yeah. Because, you know, like, you have to play off that kind of relationship. Like to go with uh, the example character we've made, if, if she finds out, like, her brother is now a you know scout for this military branch and has you know gotten his uh i don't know his um squad to to help him come after her uh, it's like uh and you you know that ends up being like a antagonist in the adventure path and it's like uh oh um that's gonna be interesting mm -hmm. but yeah it's true yeah um so what's uh just to completely switch gears here uh, what's something to look for in a new player wanting to join a campaign? That feels a little bit more like a GM question. Um, I'm not 100% sure what the angle of the question is, but that is word for word. What's something to look for in a new player wanting to join a campaign? Probably more like whether or not they've like met, like whether or not someone would mesh with the group. Like, how would you know? Maybe. Yeah, I kind of I feel like there's a little bit of three things on there. First off, uh, we all know how difficult it can be to coordinate a group of adults to play a game uh, and so making certain that they're going to be willing to dedicate the same amount of time that everyone else is so that it's you don't introduce them to a campaign and then suddenly the second or third week they're not able to make a session uh, so that's going to be a starter there the next thing is you can kind of tell from a person's personality how interested that they are in developing a character or making a character really mesh with the story. So if you have someone and you feel like they're going to be antagonistic, maybe be a little bit more leery. But if it's somebody that's been friends with with you and some of your other friends that are already part of the group for years, then yeah. they'd probably be a good fit. Uh, yeah. Lastly, for the third point, I would say that don't feel free to introduce them, but don't drop them into the middle of the adventure path. Yeah. I have done that before. Um, it didn't turn out great. Mm -hmm. Instead, maybe yeah. run a couple society scenarios, try to get a feel for whether or not that they're going to actually mix with the group. And if they don't, then just let them know that, you know, unfortunately, I don't think that you're the best fit for this group. Maybe look for another group. Hmm. Uh, those would be the directions that I'd go. Yeah, I'll also point out the society thing is key because I, I actually find I learn a lot from how, how people make their first character. 
So if it's somebody who's brand new to the game and they've just made their first character, if they make a character who is, you know, chaotic evil and seems to be all about exploiting, you know, everybody around them, uh, I don't know. That That's probably going to be something that rubs me the wrong way as a player. And so, you know, seeing somebody like that, that I'm like, ooh, okay, that just that's the first thing you wanted to visualize in your, in your, you know, make anything you want in the world kind of character. There's like a part of me that I kind of see, I kind of analyze that. Yeah. Um, you might need to be in a group with more chaotic, evil people. That's yeah, what you, might, yeah, you sure. might do well with the, I'm sure that'll go well. If their, if their first thing they want to make is like, you know, the, they want to do the lawful good paladin and they want to help the party and all that player, stuff. Yeah. Be a team and be a, like, honestly, be a team player. Come on in. And it also it also gives you a chance to see how this person is going to mesh with your established players as well Mm -hmm. without having them be dropped into the middle of an AP, which also might be difficult for a first time player because you're not starting at level one. If you're coming in the middle of the story, here's this level character, have fun figuring that out. Yeah, Yeah, don't do that to people for sure. I think (laughs) another piece of it is um, playing a few shorter things with them is going to give you a chance to see how serious they take the game and every yeah. group takes the game seriously to a different extent. It's either it's all fun and games or it's super serious or somewhere in the middle and being able to figure out kind of where they are on that scale versus where your group is on that scale, mm-hmm. because ultimately that is the one thing that can completely ruin someone's day. If you take your character very seriously and the story very seriously but someone else at the table doesn't care and does nothing but make jokes. And if they die, they die. And if you die, it's funny. Like that's going to ruin your kind of experience with this. So doing some shorter stuff is going to let you see how they treat the game and see if they treat it the same way you want to treat it. So yeah, because they just may need a different group. Yeah. Yeah. If I may add one other thing to it. Oh, sorry, babe. Go ahead. ahead. Uh, Do you give people a chance though? If oh, they're yeah, just starting, they're new to change. it, and yeah. you know, it's like you can see that potential there, but they just need more time, more experience. You know, growing the number of people that are playing the game is always important. It is I mean, always good to bring new people into the fold. Everybody right. has to start somewhere. Yeah. I'm sure you know all of us. You know, started somewhere, and I'm <laughs> sure that I was atrocious back in high school when I first started to learn. You know, and yeah. not if everybody. You, if you and your group are like you know, Shakespeare troop level, and someone comes in at, like, Hallmark Channel, you can give them the time to get up to Shakespeare troop level. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Um, Let's see. I'm coming for you. (laughs) Well, Landis on the Twitch says... Hallmark Channel's good. uh, ...says that they'd be asking what makes you want to play that. Maybe they think they want to play Chaotic Evil, but actually you can help them develop the idea in a way that works for them and for the existing group. Yeah, that's very exactly. Yeah, that's a great tip. Or maybe they want to go somewhere from evil. Maybe they're trying to do a redemption arc, but you you gotta ask. Communication. Communication. (laughs) That's a communication is a big part of this game, and sometimes I think rule number one. Yeah, sometimes I think sometimes that falls by the wayside because of you know heated debates and emotions and everything like that. That's true. Communication is key. (laughs) Yeah, and honestly, most of us are not amazing communicators by default. Like humans spend our we spend our entire lives trying to figure out how to talk to each other effectively <laughs> i still haven't figured it out <laughs> yeah sure. exactly i mean how many times do we stumble over even basic words you know uh, how is the worst you could want that <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna spin that question the other way so if you're a new player and you want to join a group what are some things you should look for as a player looking for a group 
Um, you know what? I, one of the things I would say is always be sure that you're comfortable with the people you're playing with. Mm. Like, mm. you know, if yeah. you if you go to your local game store or get on, you know, get online and find like a Pathfinder Society group and go and sit down and another person at the table is making you uncomfortable for some reason you don't feel obligated to stay just because you want to play you need to find yeah. a group of people that you feel comfortable with and maybe it's just how they play their character or maybe it's just you know there's a reason but you know and you don't necessarily have to air that but maybe just be like hey maybe this group isn't for me you need to find people that you're comfortable with and play the game in the way that you want to play it like just was saying earlier i'm gonna go ahead and plug our discord server here because we have some <laughs> fine excellent people yes we do <laughs> running games and playing in games yours truly included um and we're pretty cool so you could come over and try some games with us mm -hmm. yeah if i can <laughs> throw out here uh and this this i think is adjacent to that uh back but on the subject of heather saying you know be comfortable i think that this should be mentioned uh for guys generally but women as well Gaming table probably isn't the best place to flirt with people. Yeah, um, that's so, uh, yeah. Don't like if you if you want to talk to them afterwards and hang out with them. But I have been in many a situation where, uh, especially a woman will join a table at a Pathfinder Society game, and then suddenly people are making these comments. It's like, oh, well, I'm in character, like flirting with your sexy elf. It's like, oh, well, you know, that's, that's not a good thing. It's yeah. generally yeah. a good idea with people you don't know well to not do the flirting. I want to go pick up a, a wench at the tavern. Like, that can make a lot of people uncomfortable. And if you don't know them, this... maybe don't role play that. Good, good yeah. rule of thumb is if you wouldn't say it in front of your boss and or grandmother, probably don't <laughs> say it the first time you meet somebody. Just, yeah. just throw that out yeah. there. Yeah. And this... I mean, basically that um, old D&D uh, uh, &D thing where, the, you know, it's like there's, you know, any girls at the bar there, you know, and stuff like yeah. that. Don't, don't, don't go with that. That's not. Yeah. yeah. We And I mean, we've got a lot of characters who are like doing a lot of romancy stuff on our podcast and our actual yeah. plays. But yeah. we've known each other yeah. for a long time. And mm -hmm. uh, if any of us yeah. had any issues with it, we would be talking about it. Um, and we know that, and we know that that's all in character. That yes. isn't like yeah. a, you know. I think I've romanced half this group. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> Rachel and I are lovingly married as a human and a half. Yes, we are. Proper terminology is I think my characters have romance. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, Rachel yeah. and I also have a set of characters that are married. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I mean that, and and that's great for a group of friends that have been playing together for a long time. But if yeah. you're but, just meeting somebody, yeah. maybe be respectful just, of everyone else's yeah. boundaries and understand that everyone is there to play a game. Yeah, not necessarily it, do anything it, else. Yeah, and if it's, if something develops organically through the game with your characters, that's great. And if something develops organically through you and another player, though, again, keep. Keep it outside the game. I mean, Rick and I are married. <laughs> um, but great. we did not bring that to the table. Mm -hmm. You know, I that it just it, it's awkward, yeah. you know? Like just I don't, don't think do you that. guys have ever played a married couple, actually, now that I'm thinking back. No. Um, and I don't think <laughs> I will point <laughs> out. I don't think Rick's ever ended up killing a Rachel character, not yet anyway. <laughs> I try, but she makes so sturdy characters. I will, I will um, point out, Jessica, <laughs> that you've saved my character from death every time. 
Yeah. I'll point out all of Jordan's yeah. characters that I kill is because he dumps stats con. Um, <laughs> Jordan, car- Jordan kills the bejesus out of my cool. characters. That's I true. think he's killed me so many times. Say, it's a totally different thing when I'm a GM. Uh-huh. All right. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, nice luck is different. Riddy yeah, Wimple. Time for another question. Riddy yeah. Wimple. That's fun. Riddy Wimple says. Um, my latest group has some people that journal the game and it really develops the story in a way I've never seen in other campaigns. It's really mm-hmm. expanded our game in a whole new way and the characters have all grown a bit of depth that wasn't there before. So it's a little uh, a little tip, I guess, about journaling. Yeah, journaling's a great direction to go. I used to do that in high school, but I don't have enough time anymore. I used to yeah. after every session, I used to write a journal entry from my character's point of view, but I just, unfortunately, it was fun, but I just don't have, and it's awesome if you have the time, but I just don't anymore. Now that that being said, you can at the table jot down some notes. That's- um, I'm I'm gonna say this as somebody who's really bad at jotting down notes and that I never do it, but right, writing down some notes about what's happening will help reinforce it in your mind, and also it's better role play to not be like, so Mister, what was his name again? Yeah, I'm real bad with character names. I tend to write yeah, those down for sure. I have um, a crazy sticky note that's just like, well, now I think it's like four or five, but I just like write down notes and then i have to figure out which sticky note has the things um I, that's why i'm not the timekeeper um yeah, I'm, I'm the post-it queen Iso, uh, i'm always asking where's my post-its oh sorry all right. A great thing that I heard on the Paizo message boards was also a group that did uh they were doing society stuff and they would rotate who would write a vignette and oh, then it would only be about 500 words and then the gm would read that while he, like at the beginning of each session to show what a character was doing during the downtime that's fine. Oh, so I think cool. that that's like a great idea for a way to further develop it. If you if you want to rotate that through with your players, where every session you just do a quick, you know, this is what this character's thinking right now, going through. Uh, a handful of other comments uh, from the Discord and the Twitch on this. Um, Darth Binks's uh, fake campaign takes real time notes in a shared Google Doc uh, that they think Ooh. would be interesting to try for their Pathfinder games. But essentially, yeah, everybody has good. it up. That's cool. Uh, somebody yeah. else says that as a GM, you can actually see how much they misunderstood what you said or what you might need to reinforce or make them remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can also see when they fall. All the words I mispronounce. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a list of words. Um, Gigi, I guess, last question, I guess. We have like two minutes. Uh, Gigi, wow. I don't. It's not really a question so much as a suggestion, I guess. But uh, when it comes to a specific weapon or armor type, I change the item in the module to suit the character, especially if they have gone with something in character that's more interesting or story focused. Yeah, that's actually that's a definitely a good idea. And uh, sometimes some, certain weapons will actually bestow proficiencies on them, things like that. But changing changing small elements of the story to make it more interesting or to make it connect better with the character is always a good idea. If you yeah. don't feel like just going openly and saying, "Hey, there's a cool bastard sword in here. Why don't you use a bastard sword?" If that person uses a long sword, that's not going to be much of a change. Yeah. Uh, but mind you, if it, if it's also one of those, this takes place in Osirian, and the person uses, you know, a chainsaw. Um, <laughs> it might be difficult. Are to we going? Are that. we going back to our Android from? But, you know, our, that, our Android from Numeria. I really wish that we had that. <laughs> or Android from Osirian. I really wish we had that character. <laughs> uh, no. All right. I have Can one final one question. Chainsaw swords. Yeah. Mostly because it's a very good question, so I'm going to just make it fit in here. Uh, as a GM, so I guess this is for GMs at the table, how would you handle one PC playing scenarios strategically without violence, but another PC who is very, for lack of a better term, murder happy? Oh, that's an interesting one. Uh, 
I think the I think the easiest approach to it would be to provide alternative scenarios for each. So, for instance, provide an option where you know this character can go in, can do diplomacy, can have their character come in and you know talk down the enemies and get all the through all the way through that. Basically, give them an opportunity to shine, uh, but then be perfectly fine simply saying, and then the skeletons rush into the room and give whoever it is that wants to start swinging their sword around and murdering things. Uh, it's always a little bit easier when you're dealing with golems, um, skeletons, creatures that in essence aren't intelligent. Uh, so even the pacifists, quote unquote, at that point, uh, would be much more comfortable with things that couldn't be negotiated with. Yeah. Any other uh, thoughts from other Uh I think if, I'll look at this not just from Adventure Paths, but if you're like homebrewing something and you know that that's kind of the way that your players like to play, you can cater to both by having a balance of diplomatizing uh, adventure, you know, elements versus the, and then they, they crazy cultists just jump you, you know, kind of stuff. So think about that if you're writing a scenario or you're trying to weave together a story from a couple of different modules or something like that, that um, some of the best part about this game is that it is cooperative and it brings together so many different types of people that you don't necessarily want to exclude somebody just because they may want to play the game slightly differently. Yeah. Um, not not to, not in a completely different way, but in a, maybe a slightly different way because we've had we've had times where it's you know the villains in the middle of monologuing and we're just like nope we're done with you like we're going straight to murder yeah. and that that just Rachel <laughs> that's that's, t- that's that's I'm a trash a talker thank you very much sometimes I, I get fed first. up if you've been a monster the whole time I'm tired of listening to you please die <laughs> yeah but it's it's one of those things where like it's also a good time for the players to occasionally use that as a development to switch roles so that the diplomatic character may finally be fed up with this and just say, you know what, no talking, straight violence. Whereas the murder happy person could have that moment where they're like, but it's a cute little bunny rabbit. I don't want to kill it even in the way. What is that coming out of it? You know? Uh, is that cool? Hey, bunnies <laughs> are terrifying. Just going to put that out there. Especially when they have holy hand grenades. Yeah. They freaking growl. It's, it's scary. <laughs> Ross, did you have anything to add? Um, no, I think Rick and Jordan pretty much covered what I was going to say. So, awesome. yeah. Uh, I will add something. My only addition is if this is a situation where the murder hobo player won't let the strategic I want to negotiate player negotiate, like every time they try the murder hobo stabs someone with a dagger or whatever, then uh, that sounds like an in real life conversation that you got to have with that table. Uh, to be like, look, mm. everybody needs to have fun here. We have to figure out how to resolve this. Um, and just have kind of an opus, open dialogue with them. Because that that can get really old really fast. Yeah, when people stop having fun, that's when there needs to be real-life conversations about, okay, why, why is there conflict here? What is going on? How can we resolve this? Absolutely. It's one of those, everybody, it's a, as we've said before, it's a cooperative game. You can't always have it your way. True. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to our time. Um, if you have any other questions, uh, you know, you can always join us, our Discord and ping us or send us an email mm-hmm. or, you know, I guess Mention, you can. Reddit yeah. There's tons of places Twitter. to contact us. Yes. Twitter. I have a final suggestion for something everyone could reference for an amazing source to look at great dynamic character development. Sure. And it's available on Netflix now. If you've never watched Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh, yeah. Oh, 
Oh, yes. yes. That show. Is some, of yes. anything I've ever seen. They, they are some, uh, yeah, great. Well, not even just that, but every it. character. Has I know every character is great, but mm-hmm. I like um, it. But Zuko is a great example. Ooh, so sweet. yeah, definitely use that as a good example of how to uh, how to develop a character and show it dynamic character growth. That yeah. is true. All right, well, that's, um, that's going to be it for us on this panel. I hope everybody has a great rest of their prize con and uh, good luck out there. Thank you for joining us. Are yeah. we making these char- this character sheet and uh, this character's background available somewhere? I think we should put it on our website. website. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. So if, if you want to take it for your own home game, feel free. Mm-hmm. You know yeah, what? Well, maybe you can write a different backstory for it. We will <laughs> post it on the Patreon, but it'll just be free for everybody. So it'll be on our Patreon. Okay, yeah. uh, find the path. You can search for us. We're real easy to find. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll post that up, and that way people can uh, can use it if they want to. Yeah. All right, Lydia. Appreciate it. Thank you all. Yep. Yeah. Excellent. Bye, everybody. Right, thank you. Bye, bye. Have a wonderful PaisaCon. The No Direction Network's PaisoCon Online 2020 seminar coverage was made possible by the No Direction Con team, consisting of Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param, Ryan Costello, Alexander Agunis, Vanessa Hoskins, Randall Meyer, Dustin Knight, and John Godin. Special thanks to Paizo's social media producer, Peyton Smith, and the entire Paizo staff. For more great Pathfinder, Starfinder, and other RPG news, reviews, podcasts, and blogs, check out nodirectionpodcast.com.